Well, hello, and welcome to the Memoirs of Abiding podcast. I'm Chris Bryant. We wanted to start something a little different and counter to what many have been taught or learned through experience. Our topics will be practical and theological, focusing on what the early church saw. And what we are going to talk about isn't some new idea, but rather an old idea gaining traction again. Our tell is sharing our experiences and looking at the Bible on this material. Our ask is that you will take this into your own devotion time and ask the Lord how to best apply it. We will continue to talk about this material each week, and we have blogs addressing practical applications at www.memoirsofabiding.com. We hope you experience God through talking about his word with us. So today on the podcast, uh, I'm joined again with Ricky Brooks, but we have a special guest on here. So Ellie, we've never formally met, but just go ahead and introduce yourself just so the the listeners can have an idea of, of who Ellie might be. Yes, uh, my name is Ellie Coots, and uh, thank you for inviting me to come today. I am, well, actually, Ricky has been my dear friend and pastor for, for years and years and years and, and has walked with my, my family, my husband, and my four kids, gosh, for the last 20 years, and just walked with us as we've hit some hard times and had beautiful times and moved away and came home. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a wife, I'm a mom, I'm a grandma, I'm a social <laughs> worker. <laughs> um, I have, I have a, a full life. Well, that's great. Amen. Yeah. Amen. This month we're talking about storms, the storms that come into a life. We've already talked about a storm of a fear of, of our child going into situations that we can't control. We've talked about a fear, uh, or not a fear, but rather a loss of a beloved uh, spouse. We've talked about the almost loss of a child and the trauma that that brought forth. Now, tell us a little bit about the storm that you've been in and maybe that you're still in. Yeah, we had, gosh, it's been it's been a number of years ago, just one of those moments when you know, when you realize that like maybe the great parent you thought you were or the great employee that you thought you were or whatever, um, just kind of of, uh, comes to a halt. And at that point in our lives, I I had realized that, you know, there was just things in our, in our, in our life that had deeply impacted our children. And, and there was a lot of hurt um, and it really sort of brought us to our knees. And we started counseling, my husband and I started counseling. And in that process of counseling, I started learning just how deeply invested my identity was in being a good everything, being a a great mom, a great, a great, at the time I was working in in childcare, I I wasn't even back in social work yet, the perfect wife to have a clean house. Like I really just had my identity super, super wrapped up in what I was doing well. And I, and I love the Lord deeply, but I, I truly wasn't resting my identity and who God says I was, but it was in like, I have to be good enough. Like God loves me and God loves me so much that now I have to do all of this stuff because, because of what God did for me. So there was a a period of of, of a few years of really just redefining and relearning who I am in God's eyes 
And there's a lot of, you know, when, when you are someone who wants to do everything well and be kind of a perfectionist, um, it's just not a possible thing. And so for me, those falling, those shortages really increased my cycles of shame. And so as, as I was going through counseling and then going through learning to abide with, with the Lord and learning really who, what God says about me, my truth, the truth of who God says I am began to change who my, my internal, who, you know, who I had believed, who I had, I had grown up to believe what I needed to be. So I had shared a, a couple years ago that, that it was, you know, for me, I, I kind of attributed like a, like fighting zombies, my, my, my flesh telling me that, you know, I need to be all this stuff. And, and when I can't do that, it's like fighting a battle of zombies. And when it comes on too much, I lose. And I've, I've learned to, to look at who does Jesus say I am. And I think probably the first, the first in John 14, um, Jesus says, uh, you are clean because I said, I said, you are and probably got the exact quote wrong, but, but I had to look at that and just mull over it for so long. I am clean because Jesus said, I am that's, that's, that's all that's, that's it. And also in, in John 15, and I have it on my, my desk because I love it so much. And I have a habit. Jesus said, or excuse me, it's John 14. Jesus says, peace. I leave with you. My peace. I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I do not give as the world gives. And I think so often of what does this world give? Well, there's just been a lot of hard and, and my life that the world has given lies that I believed about myself, harm that has come from other people. And that's not, that's not what Jesus gives. So fast forwarding, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of growth. Well, then this last year, year hit. And um, I really felt like, gosh, we're kind of on a, you know, hoping for those times of peace and growth and, and health as I, as I um, became more and more confident in who I was before the Lord. And then 2021 hits and my, we were in the midst of COVID and my dad got sick. We, my family lived with my dad. My dad got sick with cancer and he passed away. We sold the house, moved to Port Orchard and about a year to the date that my dad was diagnosed with cancer. My husband was diagnosed with cancer. And, and at that time I was like, okay, well, he's, I've, I've done this before. I've, you know, I've done the cancer thing with my dad, with my mom previously. Um, I'd also just started graduate school to go into psychology and, and counseling and working full time. And I was like, I just have to keep doing this. And at some point of time, um, and I, and it, and it was so slow in the process, my, my words were saying like, yes, I'm the Lord is God is with me. Like God's got this. We're, we're doing great. But at some point of time, I just slipped right back into my old habits of trying to control everything. And, and I got through my first year of grad school and I did terrible. I did 
terrible in my first year of grad school and my caseload at home was, or excuse me, at work was a wreck and my house was trashed and my kids are having a really hard time and my husband still has cancer and that's the storm. And it's been in this recent, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to confess very recently where I've just realized not only am I failing at all of the stuff that I've been trying to be successful at, but I am depressed because I'm, I'm failing and I'm not a great employee and I'm a terrible wife. Like what kind of wife feels, you know, frustrated over, over, you know, my spouse being sick or angry at the universe or, you know, my kids aren't, um, my kids are, are, well, three of them are adults and, and, you know, they might not be doing everything that I want them to do and just feeling like a failure. And then knowing that I'm really not listening to God right now. It wasn't my, my sin wasn't like, oh, now I'm like trying to self-medicate and make myself feel better you know, but my sin that, that I struggled with is of trying to be enough and leaning back into my old habits of survival. You have said a very impactful phrase, and I don't think you know how serious what you said is, because I think a lot more than just maybe a small bit of the population are suffering from that exact same phrase. Something that you said, you knew your identity was wrapped up in this perfection and specifically feeling like you had to earn God's favor after the salvation process, after what he's done for you. You almost have to live up to this perfect ideal, the perfect mom, the perfect wife, the perfect employee and all of that stuff. And I think one, that's exhausting that I don't, I don't know a single person other than Jesus who can stand in that and his, he didn't stand in it like that. Right. And we've talked about that as, as far as Jesus living a life of surrender in order to accomplish all of that. But so with that, these words that you were saying about God has it right in your mind, you were saying, God has all of this. I'm going through this. I I mean, I'm going to call that the perfect storm, right? Your father had it cancer. Now your husband had it, you're in grad school, your kids are struggling, all of these things come together into one supercell, just like in, in the movie that I, I, I reference on the, uh, the, the Facebook page. It's, it's this is the perfect storm where everything that could possibly make this storm even more crazy mm-hmm. is coming into your life. And in your mind, what you were saying was, God's got this, I'm going to let him do it. But what happened was you, you said you slipped back into, what did you say, the old habit of taking control, right? Mm-hmm. So let's dive in a little bit with that. And then, then I'd love to hear you continue on with your story. So you realized in that moment that you were slipping back into that habit of taking control. So with that, what were some of the things once that understanding came to you? What did you start to do in those situations when you realized it? Well, I'd love to say that when I realized that I just busted open my Bible and had a really intense prayer time, 
Um, I wish I could say that. What I did though was go back onto my next. I called my doctor and I said, I'm really depressed. I think I need to increase my medication. And I'm not saying that that's like, oh no, you should never do that. But what I really, I think, have come to terms with is that was yet another way for me to avoid the hard of sitting with the Lord and saying, God, I'm, I'm hurt and this hurts and I'm angry and I'm sad because that's not easy to do. And if I, you know, increase my medication, I don't have to feel that. And that's not the answer. It, it, it actually made me feel worse. God doesn't ask me to not feel he doesn't ask me to be perfect and pretend like everything is okay. And I don't want to sit and feel the hurt and the pain and the disappointment. But Jesus didn't run from it. You know, Jesus sat with the father as he went through his hardest moments. And, um, and so I guess after, you know, a couple of weeks of feeling even more miserable because I tried my last, the last option just increase my medication. That'll make everything feel better. And I can do all this great stuff again. I am stubborn. And the Lord knows this about me just to have this moment of coming before God. And I feel like it's a Britney song, a Britney Spears song that, oops, I did it again. Like it keeps popping into my head, Lord, oops, I did it again. But just having that, that moment of saying, here I am and my flesh, my flesh won, like I lost the zombie battle and allowing God to just bring to mind and all those, those promises of all the things that he says to me, I do not give as the world gives. I am the way, the truth and the light. Oh, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. That was remembering who it is that, that God says I am and not that desperation to have to control everything and, and make it okay. Cause I, I'm not, it's, it's, it's not okay right now, right now things aren't okay. It's, it's hard and it's scary and there's no time stamp as like, Okay, you know, on January 1st, 2022, everything's going to be good and this storm's going to end. That's, that's not the promise that I have. But the promise that I have is I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And that in this storm, Jesus is right with me. Saying I, and I can rest in that and so much more like in, and I have that one right in front of me because it, it's been what's been on my mind. But <laughs> yeah, what comes to mind with that? And, and I've Ricky can attest to this. My big one was control. And it took me months last year of laying on the floor, just prostrate, just or curling up into a ball and crying and saying, Lord, I, I don't want to give this up but I need to give this up. And so perfection was, was kind of mine. So I can identify with a little bit of what you're saying, but with that identity and the perfect storm, as we say it, 
it just brings me in my mind to Mark in chapter four and uh, starting in verse 35, where the disciples and Jesus had gone across the lake and Jesus was passed out. He was just taking a nap, a nice, uh, you know, sailboat moment where he's just falling asleep at the sea. But then they hit this storm and the disciples that were fishermen, I'm sure they were trying to take control of the, the situation. They were doing it the way they were taught to do it. But the storm was too much for them. It was out of their control. And at that point, they threw up their hands and said, my goodness, man, I, I picture the, the voice of bones, you know, from the, the Star Trek. <laughs> my goodness, man. Yeah, I, we can't do this. We're going to die. And then Jesus, you know, woke, awoken, of, of course, from his nice slumber. He looks and says, what are you, what are you doing? So I want to I want to go through this. They said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? In verse 39. And he got up and rebuked the wind and he said, hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they became very much afraid to each other and asked, who is this that he can calm the wind? But the point, if we bring that into our own life of the hypothetical storm, you know, that we're talking about. You tried to take control of the wheel of the helm and that boat was going nowhere where you wanted it to. And the winds and the waves were going through, even though you were a skilled control oriented person, right? You, you could probably control many situations, but it got to the point and maybe the Lord allowed it to get to this point where you could no longer do it. And you threw up your hands and he said, Lord, I can't do it. We're going to die. Aren't you going to do something? And then he's like, hush wind. Right. And, and that's where we can come to in the abiding. It's not this perfect moment where we have the power to just make the situation better. That's not what abiding is. But abiding is coming to the sense of understanding that you couldn't control it. Ellie Coots could not control that perfect storm that came up against her, but she knew who could. For sure. For sure. I think even in my, you know, like I said, even in my own, my own stubbornness and knowing there was still that like last bit of rebellion of I'm, I'm still going to try just one more thing, you know, which we, we pay the consequences for, but it's not God consequences. It's just the, the consequences of our own. Yeah. I was contemplating as, as, as Ellie was sharing the wonder of this relationship, because you know, we're the memoirs of abiding, is a great title because we celebrate memories and there's so much Bible stuff behind what, what you just shared that I, I want to pour it all out and there's not time. For example, even when you felt as though you had fallen away from abiding, you became more. You fell back into your feeling the need to be a perfectionist and, and all of those kind of things. I, I'm fairly confident I can say that lingering in the back of your mind, Ellie, was God is with me. And this is one of the things that so oftentimes a lot of folks don't understand about the abiding relationship that we have with the Lord even when we're not doing quote unquote well at trusting God moment by moment, even when we're not pouring his word into our heart that 
that we can have it brought back to our memory via an illumination. He's still with us. And, and, he, and, it, and in those moments of clarity, that's him interrupting our, our sadness or our, our sorrow, our frustration, our perfectionism, whatever it might happen to be. So it, it's not as though he's no longer leading us. He, he certainly is. And because it's, you've arrived at an abiding relationship. And an abiding relationship with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has ebbs and flows because it's a real relationship. Mm -hmm. We see that when in the Garden of Gethsemane, shortly before the cross, when Jesus himself prayed, if there's some other way. And he was, he was incredibly, he felt great agony in those moments. And at the fact that we're told he paid, prayed three times, he, he prayed through the night. You know, he, he had to be with the father and he prayed through the night. And a lot of people will wonder about that because isn't he God? Yes. But a lot of people forget that when he was on earth, while he never gave up his deity, he never practiced his deity. He always said he was dependent on the father, the works, the miracles, the words, the, the, the teaching, everything he did. He always referred back and he said, these are not my works. These are the works of the father. These are not my words. These are the words of the father. And so the ebb and flow of a real vital, true relationship has its highs and its lows. And so Chris, you rightly referred to like the storm in the boat and as they were crossing this, crossing the small sea, but we could also see another motif because we know the Lord Jesus said, all you who are weary and heavy laden, right, come to me for, for my yoke is easy. You know, I am gentle and humble in spirit. So there's, there's the kind of the sometimes the teaching motif where Jesus says, man, what's, what's going on with your faith? And another time he goes, I get it. You're tired. I get it. You are burdened with all of life's things. Now, now, let me give you this gentle reminder. Come back and yoke up with me because things are a lot easier with me. You know, Elijah, when uh, he had that great victory over the prophets of, of Baal, and then he and then Jezebel says that I'm going to do to you what you did to them. And then he goes running through the desert like a, uh, you know, like a frightened jackrabbit. He hides away in a cave and God comes to him. And he says, oh, and by the way, there's 7,000 of you who have not bowed before the false gods. My old pastor, Pastor Fisher, used to say, Ricky, always remember God will always at least make it 7,000 times better than you really think it is in your moment of whatever. And to see that balance of sometimes he rebukes, sometimes he teaches, sometimes he comforts. Sometimes he just puts his arms around us and we sit together in, in, in silence, right? That, you know, a lot of people would hear your testimony of presently where you said in the past, I was learning to abide well, then things got tough and I kind of fell off the abiding wagon, so to speak. Well, yes, but not really. Not, I, I've known you now for quite a few years and your flesh moments are far fewer 
and the, the times are shorter when God, when you hear God reminding you. And even now, of, I know that even now, right now, today, <laughs> you probably are struggling with a sense of a need to, you know, I'm gonna get control of myself. I, I get control of all of this stuff, even while you're voicing it. And yet I know that, you know, God is saying, I know how weary you are. I get that. But my yoke is easy and, and I, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So all those different ways that Jesus voices this abiding relationship, because it's a true relationship. Theologically, we're born again. We're not, we are not mainly physical beings with a born again spirit. We are born again child of God inhabiting a mortal body which the Bible says we will one day cast aside and, and, and be then given a spiritual body. So God is spirit and we are spirit and we communicate together in a true relationship. And so there was at least one other time when Jesus had a moment on the cross, you know, when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It shouldn't surprise anybody that when we really truly understand the love and compassion of God, in a true abiding relationship, we would have moments in which we feel like, what's up? <laughs> Where are you? You know, Jeremiah felt it. Elijah felt it. The list just goes on and on, right? I hear your testimony and I say, that's exactly what we're trying to help people to understand. What you're trying to help people to understand, what you are getting further education for. So I don't know that that's not the rest of the story because, you know, as uh, that radio guy used to always say, uh, Paul Harvey, but it's a part of the rest of the story, part of the rest of the story. Yeah, that's really powerful, Ricky. One, one thing I was thinking of and, and that came to my mind, first of all, we read that, that verse with my kids last night in Matthew, uh, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. It's easy. And light. And that's great. Um, that's weird. weird. Or is it? It's not weird at all, is it? Perhaps. <laughs> it's not weird at all, is it? No. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we, we, we did a blog kind of on, on that idea of taking that control. And, and even, even in the God moments, the flesh wanting to respond. And, and we talked about it. It's Isaiah 50 that, uh, in verse two, he says, well, first of all, it's God. Why was there no man when I came? When I called, why was there no one to answer? Is my hand so short it cannot ransom? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, I dry up the sea with my rebuke. I make the rivers a wilderness. Their fish stink for lack of water and die of thirst. But then we see later on, the Lord challenges us as humans. In verse 10, he says, who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant, that walks in the darkness and has no light. Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all of you who kindle a fire, who encircle yourselves with firebrands, walk in the light of your fire and among the brands you have set ablaze. This you will have for my hand. You will lie down in torment. And Ellie, I've been in that situation a few times, though not to the extreme you're at. But one thing that I found is every time I try to take control of those or situations. Or light your own fire, at, in the words of Isaiah. Yeah. Right? 
yeah, that um, the whole idea of lying down in torment, it's, it's all the consequences of my finding my identity and my purpose outside of him, allowing him to take control of my situation. If I do that, then I, I find the peace of Psalm 23. But when I take control of it, when I, yeah, exactly. When I'm um, encircling myself with the firebrands, when I walk in the light of my own fire, that's when I find that torment comes. And it's not the Lord tormenting me. It's, it's all of the junk that I've put there that is just all coming to pass. And he's like, okay, live in what you wanted to live in. And it's, it can be tough. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I was, I was thinking as, you know, as I was, when you're talking about Matthew and, and being weary and it's, it's like you said, it's weary because there's so much and it's weary because it is so hard to try to be everything to everyone. And it just, it stinks. Flesh yeah. stinks. <laughs> and, and, and how much, you know, I'm tired. I need rest. And the rest is, I mean, that is, that is Jesus. If I'm, if I'm this weary, it is because I'm working so hard rather than handing the reins over. That's really good. You find yourself in good company, you know, mm -hmm. Moses, you had that, that historical picture in the book of Deuteronomy where he has, he's been told by God to lead the people into the promised land. And there's a moment, there's a time where we see Moses and, and uh, Joshua goes with him to the tent of meeting. And it says there that Moses met with God face to face as a man does another man. <laughs> and Moses says, hey, you're asking me to go these people. Well, you better go with me. <laughs> as though God has not demonstrated that. And God says, I, I, I will, I'll show myself. And, and of course, I'm going with you. <laughs> and then Moses is like, okay, well, now show me your glory. You know, that wasn't good enough. His word, it, as though his word's not good enough. Now show me your glory. And God says, I, I have shown my glory. I will show my glory. And I always thought, you know, Joshua's sitting behind him going, Moses, Mo, Mo, come on, man. What are you doing, Mo? Shut up, shut up. <laughs> but here's Moses having the same kind of encounter that you and I and the three of us are talking about. And then along comes Elijah, like I mentioned earlier. And it's like, I'm the only one. It's, you know, it's like, I'm the only one. Same thing with, with Jeremiah, right? And in, he has two books, Jeremiah and then Lamentations, the long lament, right? And he's like, in chapter three, it's though as though he waves his fist at the air and says, you've made all this happen to me. All this terrible stuff you're responsible for because you called me to this place in this position in this world. And he's, he's true about that. God might not have brought evil on him, but God put him in the place of suffering these evils on his behalf. And that particular storyline goes on and on and on. You know, God puts us in positions that we might truly rest upon him. You know, what was Abraham 
really in his heart when God said, sacrifice the son that I have promised to you. We know because we get to read all of scripture that in every one of those cases, God was right there. God was ready to put his arm around them and go, you're not in this alone. You're definitely not in this alone. Yeah. So it's a, it's a pretty common theme. And if we look at this relationship we have with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and superimpose it upon a good human relationship, like a good father with a good son. A good father sometimes allows his son to go through difficult times without rescuing him immediately so that the child learns patience, endurance, character, all of those kind of things. The difference is with a good relationship with a dad and a boy on earth, dad is there in the flesh. Hence, in the abiding relationship, how we have to learn to discern the presence of God in our life because it's discerned spiritually and not physically. But in terms of, well, who am I, Lord? I am one of those who, you are one of those who, Chris, you are one of those who truly wants to obey God, like the the passage in Isaiah. Who among you fears the Lord? Me, 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 me. Okay, but when you go through the darkness, don't try to light your own way out. Still keep trusting me. The darkness is coming. You can bet on it. Uh, the, the, the trials are coming. That's what it means to abide, is to rest and trust, relax. Even when rest and trust and relaxation accompanies anxiety <laughs> and fear, because sometimes they just travel the same path. They not, one doesn't necessarily eradicate the other. They're both two rails on the rail, railroad line, and they run together. One is doubt and the other is certainty. And they're just a part of us. One is pain and the other is peace. I could be a preacher and get all kinds of words that start with the same letter. But they run, they run together. They run parallel. Amen? Amen. Yeah. So Ellie. You, go ahead. What I was going to say is, is before we started the podcast, you had mentioned isolation. A lot of these things caused you to isolate because you felt you couldn't do it. Just like what Ricky was talking about with Elijah, he felt he had to isolate, but he was the only one. He didn't know about the other 7,000. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of times the deceiver will do that. He will try to isolate us from other believers. He'll try to isolate us even from God himself through whatever situation we're in and what we're dealing with. And that's when it can become overwhelming. That's when it becomes unmanageable. That's when we just feel the pressure of life pushing down. And I wanted to highlight one of the things that you had said. You had given some bullet points of of your testimony and you surrounded it with like 15 bits of scripture. Now, were those specific in your life? Was that some sort of a a tool that you used to remind yourself of your true identity or, or were those just randomly popping into your head? Those were, um, when I, when I wrote that at the time I wrote that, those were verses that would just regularly come into my head. And it's, it's like, um, 
I want to say mantra, but I don't know that's that that's the right phrase. But it is it is just what would constantly when I would feel those doubts and 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 I, and I think it started with with you are clean because I said you are it, it started with that. And I would just repeat that to myself over and over. I, I had it written by my bed. I had it, um, you know, at that point in my own personal healing, I was, I was really working through shame. And, and that was the, that was the combat verse. And when I would feel the shame, I would, I would know I'm clean. Jesus says I'm clean and that's all it takes. And so that's kind of how it started. And then as, as we were, going through, you know, I've had other verses that I I've just loved in a, in a moment of, you know, a number of years ago, just going through, a, we were living in Oklahoma and I literally had nobody and it was a, it was a hard time and reading Psalms. Um, and, um, I, I want to say it's in Psalms 18 about, um, you reached into the waters and, and pulled me out. You, you, you rescued me because you delighted in me and that, that word delight. And I, my, my children were just babies at the time. This was, you know, 18 years ago. And I thought of just how much joy my kids give me. Like when you hear them giggle and they just, it makes you smile. Or when you're looking at your kids and like your eyes well up and you want to cry because you're overwhelmed at how much you love them. And I read that verse because you delight in me. And I, and I thought, Oh my gosh. God looks at me. I mean, how I look at my children and I feel overwhelmed and it makes me want to cry because I love them so much. Like Mm -hmm. that's how God feels about me only way more. Like that's just like this little picture of how much. And so that is how I began to counter the lies that I was believing no, I'm not, I'm not ruined. I, Jesus says I'm clean. He delights in me. When Jesus says, says, I am the way, the truth, and the light, like Jesus is saying he is the truth and he, he will give us the spirit of truth. And, and, I, and I had to focus on Jesus is the truth and what he says is the truth. And so if I, I'm an obedient person, my, you know, I was just like a compliant, obedient kid with my parents. And I'm looking at the saying, well, God, the father, the creator of the universe, his son is saying he is the truth. And I need, I need to, to believe that I need to believe that what he says about me is true. And so that, that string of, of verses came from that. Yeah. Ricky and I chuckle every now and then on this podcast because he'll have said something that I was in that exact scripture the night before or vice versa. And it goes back to the, the three skills of abiding or the three facets of abiding that we hit on. The Lord kind of brought me down this path as as Ricky and I did this discipleship is, is reading God's word instead of for information for transformation and living a life of dependency through submission and surrender, like what you're saying. But the last one is one that we, we laugh because so many people, I think, misunderstand it is the illumination. 
And so we could chalk it up as coincidental. We can chalk it up as, oh, well, you just memorize those verses. But in that moment, when you needed your identity, when your identity was in question and your flesh was saying, no, no, our identity is in this, is in this, is in this. And your spirit was just crying out for the Lord. And this Holy Spirit said, no, no. Do you have that list in front of you? I'd loved if you would just read through those sets of scripture without the references, but just go through and, and bring them to life so that the, the hearers can hear what God is speaking through his spirit into you about who you are. Absolutely. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the light. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. You are already clean because of the words I've spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. He reached down on high and took a hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me because he delighted me, delighted in me. Before I knit you together in your mother's womb, I knew you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I know the plans I have for you. That is wow. powerful. It, it, for folks that might not be familiar with their Bible, it ranged all over Old Testament, New Testament. It's, it's absolutely yeah. powerful. You know, there's that 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 thing that Christians sometimes do that is actually kind of disturbs, you know, we like, we, we want to fault the Christian who cries out to God in the foxhole. Well, you know, they're called foxhole Christians. Oh, sure. You know, you, you call out to God when the bombs are dropping and what Christians who kind of mock that position don't understand is that's when God delights. And, and one of those passages that you read said he rescues us. He doesn't wait for us to call out from the foxhole. He comes running into the darkness. He comes running across the battlefield. He doesn't even bother dodging the bombs going off. He just dives right in and says, I got you. You know, you're tired. You're weary. I am going to help you now in this, this time of, of your great need. And you know, let me just read the, the words themselves so I don't botch them up. John chapter 14, verse 21. Jesus says, and he who loves me will be loved by my father also. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. That word manifest means I will show myself to the person who's walking with me. Verse 23, Jesus said again, if anyone loves me, he keeps my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. So now Jesus not, doesn't just say, I will manifest. I and my father will come. A lot of people think it's conditional. Oh, if we love God, they, he will come. That's not what that means. The, the father loves the son and the son loves the father. They therefore abide with one another and always come to one another. And that's what he's offering us. We will know this truth and we will recognize how God loves us. And we love him in return and we abide together. So verse 21, Jesus will show himself. Verse 23, the son and the father will make their abode with us. And then in verse 26, he says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, 
whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Some want us to think that that only applies to those disciples who heard those words in the flesh. But you'd have to dismiss everything else in the Gospel of John if it only applies to them. It has to apply to all believers. And in fact, in John 17, when Jesus prays, he says, I pray not only for these followers at that time, but for those who will come because of them. That's, that includes us. So he will teach us and remind us of all these things. So Jesus and the apostles were Jewish and they spoke in Jewish isms. And one of the things that they would do is compound words. So when he says, will teach and remind you, that's saying the same. The word of God will resonate in the spirit of God. The son of God and God the father are the one who makes that happen. So in your troubled times, even when you're, even when you were feeling the depth of your controlism, your perfectionism, those passages of scripture come to you because God is showing you his presence. You know, this, this thing we're doing today and last night, you're in Matthew reading to your children, Chris, you know, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And God lays that passage on my heart uh, this afternoon. For those of you that are listening and you don't quite understand, that is the work of God and the real-time evidence of God demonstrating his presence with us right here, right now. We call that illumination. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I get chill bumps. I want to giggle. Sometimes I want to cry. <laughs> yeah. No, that's great. Yeah. And what's what's really amazing, this one, I don't think we've had it like this before, but this testimonial is almost a, a glimpse into how our discipleship groups run. You know, Ricky, you've done all of yours, with the exception of me, I think, in person. All of mine have had to be virtual. But this is this is what this discipleship does. We walk through and we we talk about identity. And whether you're at the level where Ellie is, who's been going through this material for a long time and has been able to recall some of it and see it, or whether you're the, the Christian who's never heard of this crazy thing of abiding and you walk through and, and your identity is still wrapped up solidly in all of these other things, the Lord brings his truth into it. It's not Chris that does it. It's not Ricky that does it. It's not Ellie teaching someone else that does it. This is the work of the Holy Spirit working in the lives of believers, just like Jesus said he would. And when that happens, and you talk about the evidence and the presence of the Lord, it's not this crazy feeling. It's not this like emotional moment where I just heard this song or, or I just had these, these words from this uh, great Christian speaker come into me. And I just, I can quote unquote, feel the presence of God in that, but it's actually God speaking through his word to us, showing us that yes, not only is this person over here talking about me, but here I am, here is my presence, and I'm giving it to you with my words, which come from my scripture, which I've given to you because of my Holy Spirit. That's the real presence of God that we can feel not through an emotional connection, but that we feel through the words that he illuminates in our life. That is true power and understanding that God's with us. It's him stepping out of, I say it all the time, it's him stepping out of eternity into the temporal plane of, of our existence and saying, hey, 
I love you enough to step out of eternity and work in your life in this moment, just so that you know that I'm walking with you, that my rod and my staff, they comfort you. And I love that. I love that he did that in your life, Ellie. And, and to bring those scriptures and, and we'll put it in the show notes for those who don't know where all those come from. But all of those, it's that preparing for the storm. You prepared by reading in the word of God. From your own admission, it wasn't as much as you wanted, but he used, like in Psalm 119, you had stored up that word in your heart and he used it and he brought it out in those times of need. And that's the beautiful God we serve. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you're right. It's not about the emotions, but I'm emotional nonetheless. The benefit, the the benefit is that when God's, when Jesus says, Ricky, I know you're tired. I get it. I get it. You know, I like to tell a story that a Bible teacher once told me, told, told his class and wrote about in a book about somebody who literally born in the dark dungeon of a, of the dark Lord's castle, the whole life had been spent in a dungeon cell, barely every now and then a little sliver of light when the dungeon keepers would come with a sloppy plate of, of gruel and this person didn't know anything. Their life became attuned to that darkness. A centipede was slithering by. The person was capable of waiting for it to get close enough that it, he could pounce on it, even though both arms and legs were shackled. Grab that centipede and shove it in his mouth for sustenance. And then the day comes when this incredible noise is happening down the corridors of the dungeon and light begins to pierce every crevice and crack of the old wooden door and boom it comes down and they're standing over him as something he doesn't even begin to comprehend but we know to be the lord jesus christ arrayed in all of his arm right and he takes that sword and boom 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 just taps the chains and the chains are cut and he takes the guy by the hand and he says come on with me I'm going to set you free. Walks him out of the corridor, up the stairs, out into daylight, which he has never seen before. There are dark, dank clouds beginning to separate. He looks down from the precipice of the walkway, and he sees nothing but filthy, nasty, muddy, manure-covered ground. And the enemy, all dressed in black, is beginning to fall one by one by one. And the the forces of of this commander of the Lord's army are taking charge of the world. He walks this person across the gate that's fallen across the the moat. The dirty, bubbling, gurgling, stench-filled water is beginning to be crystal clear as as the breath of life is flowing over it. They step off of the the moat gate, now a bridge, and the muddy fields in front of them with every step of the captain of the Lord, they begin to turn to green, beautiful meadows and the grass and the flowers go before them flowing up on the hillsides. And all of a sudden he notices tents with the white billowing canopies. And as he approaches, he sees all these other people who are being rescued in the same way. Up underneath the tents are these tables laden with every kind of delectable food a, a, a king's feast would be would be seen with and they don't even know what it is but they behold the wonder of the smells they're all just 
in, in, in awe and unbelief. And then he says to them, have a seat and partake at the king's table. And they all, you know, carefully at first, and he goes, oh, it's okay. It's okay. You don't ever have to go back as he has his thumb pointing back over his shoulder to the dark castle that is now disappearing into the into mist. And they sit down and one of them ventures out and grabs like the biggest, gigantic, delectable, you know, turkey leg they've ever, you know, and takes a taste of it and goes, oh, and the folks just start feasting like crazy. They never, a couple of them look up and, and, and Jesus says, it's okay, man, pig out guys, go for it. He's giving them the party they've never had before. And then all of a sudden the field mouse goes darting behind the subject of our story, the one that was in that dungeon cell. And his ears finally attuned to those kind of noises because that's all he's ever known before. He hears that skitter and he dives out of his chair faster than any of the others. And he's the one who grabs the field mouse. And he quickly shoves it to his mouth. And he stuffs that field mouse in his mouth with the little tail just wagging behind. And then he looks up and he, the Lord Jesus catches him with his eyes and they lock eyes. And he stands, sits there, kneeling there on his knees, holding his hands over his mouth with that tail still wagging. And then Jesus takes him by the hand and stands him up and he says, it's okay. I totally get it. You have never It'll take you time not to listen to the field mice, not to long for the centipedes, not to hope for a bitter, nasty few drops from a mean, awful, traumatizing guard with a cup of who knows what in it. I get it. As he has his arm around this guy saying, I totally get where you're at. But you and me together, we're walking a new path. You're going to face some of this stuff and you're going to want to retreat to it sometimes. I got this. You and I, we got this. Now, I'd like to tell that story in much more detail, but I think it vividly displays what happened for Moses, for Elijah, for David, for Jeremiah, for Isaiah, for Peter and Paul, right? And for Ellie and Chris and Ricky and a whole lot of other people. My friends, God wants to set you free, not only for eternal salvation, but for internal salvation. He wants your heart to soar. And if you'll abide with him, even as you've received his call to salvation, you can receive his call to abide. And uh, I hope you keep listening to Chris's podcast, uh, reading his blog, and or give him a call and ask him to start a new Zoom, Zoom group with you. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, Ellie, we appreciate you coming on and, and talking, sharing your story of the perfect storm in your life. And we'll continue to pray for your situation and maybe even follow up in four or five, six months and and hear how the Lord has, has continued on that. That would be really interesting, or at least a blog from your perspective. But um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on and, and being vulnerable enough to share your story with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was um, even this time now has just been incredibly encouraging. Just God's cool like that. <laughs> <laughs> 
So we want to end with an important scripture that Ricky has already said once, but that reminds us to abide in him. John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. So as you walk through this week, we encourage you to review the scriptures and themes we talk about and ask the Holy Spirit to team up with you to bring this information to life personally in your walk. Thanks for listening and God bless.